Hey Crossings podcast community. This teaching is called Kintsugi and is the fifth teaching in our culture making series. It was taught by Caleb Gilmore on May 22nd, 2022. Thanks for listening. So there's this ancient legend that sometime in the 16th century in Japan, a tea master named Yusei Hosokawa was preparing tea for a famous warlord named Hideyoshi. And before the tea was served, Hideyoshi's young attendant dropped a piece of priceless teaware, shattering it into five pieces. The teaware was one of Hideyoshi's favorite pieces. And infuriated, he raised his hand to strike the servant. But the tea master, Hasekawa, interrupted the blow by singing a poem. And in this artful act of beauty, the tea master somehow atoned for the mistake of the young servant and spared him from punishment. Sometime later, Hasekawa arranged for the five pieces of pottery to be put back together and reunited. There was no such thing as super glue in the 16th century, nor was there need for super glue. Instead, the pieces were reconnected with a lacquer gilded with gold. And the mended but now transformed tea piece was returned to Hideyoshi. And the fierce warlord was so moved by the beauty of the restored piece that he held it in even higher esteem than its original state. This act of compassion became the basis of an entire culture of making in Japan, which created beauty through broken items. This is the kind of making that we're going to be talking about today. Because we believe that makers know how to coax beauty from ugliness. So for the last four weeks, uh, we have been talking about this vocation that we think we have as people of God to be makers, uh, that we actually think that we've been invited to create and to make in a way that is completely new, that we're supposed to be ambassadors or reconcilers within our world and within our culture. That's our primary job. Last week, we talked about a bit of a heavy topic uh, about this making that involves naming the brokenness, this kind of making called lament, accepting that things are not the way they should be. And this week is something of a side B to that discussion for those of you who like records. Uh, It's important to name the darkness of the world, to seek to impose some kind of limit on it while facing up to it. But we do think, at least sometimes, that we're called to do a bit more than that, just naming it. How do we transform the broken pieces of the world, like the tea set that was broken, into something valuable? How do we take tragedy and trauma and pain and see it restored and renewed. I'm all too aware 
of the time in history that we are speaking about these things. It's barely been a week since a white man who submitted to the liturgies of hate and white supremacy and lies decided to make violence at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, killing 10 black people made in the image of God. Not long after we concluded our gathering last week as a church and discussed the darkness of the world and the need to lament within it, another person went to a church to kill worshipers in a racially motivated attack in California. None of us can undo any of these terrible tragedies. Some of us may not even be sure how we can prevent them from happening. How can we possibly then redeem these broken stories and turn them into a hopeful, restored future? I think one way of doing that, and I do not claim to know how to do all of that, is by understanding this Japanese concept called kintsugi, which is where the story that we began with derives from. Kintsugi is the ancient Japanese art form of repairing this broken teaware. But it's more than just the reassembly, because like the story before, Kintsugi infuses the restoration process with gold or silver or precious metals so that the pottery is not only fixed, but becomes more valuable and more beautiful than the original unbroken vessel. Uh, this word in, in Japanese is actually a fusion in and of itself of two different words. The word kin in Japanese meaning gold, and the word sugi meaning to reconnect. But there's an author and a theologian that we've been reading, his name's Mako Fujimura, and he says that this reconnection also has connotations which extend through generations, which means it's not just the act of restoration for one person, for an individual but a kind of restoration that ripples throughout the generations and has lasting effects for future users. It's not just the restoring of a vessel for one person, but for countless generations. Kintsugi doesn't just fix the broken item. It makes the broken piece even more beautiful than the original. And so to understand this concept or this way of making better, it's not really mine to explain, but uh, here's a video of Mako Fujimura explaining this act of kintsugi. Trauma, mended, becomes something new, right? becoming something that, a language that can speak into the divide, into the gap. And there was a tea master in 16th century Japan, Senorikyu, who developed the art of tea. This is what Japanese culture is based on now, who developed this form of peacemaking in the midst of feudal, literally, war period. Rikyu came and walked into that. He was able to create an art form of tea. I hold in my hand a North Korean bowl used by commoners in North Korea but one that Rikyu saw as incredible potential in this ordinary bowl. To bring this into high tea, 
of serving shoguns, <laughs> serving dictators and powers, communicated something. That's why this ball, even though it was broken somewhere down the line, the families of the team master kept this ball. Because they know this was served to somebody important. Because it was intentional communication to say, yes, you may be powerful, but there are more powerful things than your power. That's an artist communicating the power. That is to bring humility, creativity, and imagination, what I call sanctified imagination. And that's how this art of Kintsugi began, this mending with gold and making the, the object that is mended more valuable than before it, it was dropped on the floor. The beauty of how God not only mends us, but because we are broken, we are renewed, and this Kintsugi ball is far more valuable than it was before it was broken. The tea master who embraced the way of Kintsugi realized that there was a power beyond power in taking something common, something broken, and not only restoring it, but making it priceless. There's this realization that there are, in fact, greater powers than the powers of kings and systems and institutions. I look around the room and I know many of your stories. And these stories involve being wounded or broken by various manifestations of power. Power in religious organizations, power in broken family systems, power in fraught political tensions, is there some way of making that we do as a community that takes something ordinary, takes something common, and declares for a moment that there is something more powerful than that power? I think there is a story in the New Testament that gets at this. It's in the book of Mark, chapter 14. It's a story about a moment when Jesus and his followers gathered around a table to have a meal. We call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. We call it common meal. So as Passover, this Jewish holiday, was approaching, Jesus and his followers made preparations to eat this sacred meal together that commemorated the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. This was a sacred holiday where Jews remembered his time where Yahweh, the God of their ancestors, heard their cries and saw their oppression and rescued them. And in their remembering of this act, of this moment in history, they believed they were rehearsing history in the present. And yet when Jesus and his friends sat down at the table to eat this meal, for all intents and purposes, they were far from free. 
The empire of Rome had been controlling their region for roughly 75 years. The people paid heavy taxes and witnessed the oppression of their people under the Roman legions. Some, in response to these things, fought back with violence. Some collaborated with the powers, conspired with the powers. And some, using their religion, simply attempted to escape. How could they celebrate their freedom, their God who liberated, when they were feeling the destruction of Rome on a daily basis? Mark tells the story this way. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. There's something about the, sh the terse shortness of this story. The way that the details are skipped over and stated so simply it's easy to read past what's happening here. The Passover story, this tale of liberation and freedom, is central, was central to the celebration of the people of Israel and Judaism. And it's in this story, in Mark's Gospel, that quite radically Jesus takes the bread and the wine which were central to the remembering of this event, and he reinterprets them. Like the broken kintsugi bowl, Jesus says that the matzah bread, which commemorated the haste with which the Israelites had to flee their oppressors, now represents the brokenness of his own body, soon to take place. And the wine now represents his own blood, which will be poured out to establish, as he says, a new covenant. It's through the breaking and the redefining of these elements, and indeed of Jesus himself, that Mark describes somehow a new creation emerging. As Christians, the Eucharist is celebrated because it represents the transformation of ordinary broken items gaining new worth. It's in the bread and the wine that the ordinary becomes extraordinary. And in a sense, when we approach this table, which we will do today, we are in a way praying, Lord, use this food to prepare us for our deaths. It is here that we learn to die well before dying. Because at one, level, at one level, this entire table, this entire gathering proclaims death. Uh, Paul, writing a letter to some people in a city in Corinth, in explaining what takes place at this table, at this Last Supper, at this common meal, says, 
Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you pay attention to what Paul is saying in this letter to these Corinthian people, there's this subtle line at the end. The Eucharist, the common meal, it proclaims the Lord's death, the brokenness, until he comes again. Like the restorative power of Kintsugi, what is broken is proclaimed and named and valued because the restoration that comes through it is of greater value than the original. And I think throughout this process, throughout this series where we've been talking about these things, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the most important thing for us to be formed by in our society and our culture are the values of the Eucharist and the table. Like, if we had to get rid of everything else, I think we could make it. Because we are the people who allow ourselves to be broken for others. We do not demand our privilege, but serve others. We allow transformation to come through what feels and seems like death. We gather around a table where all are welcome and all face each other to proclaim death and to proclaim life. Uh, Mako, Mako Fujimura writes in his book, Art and Faith, that the ultimate act of a kintsugi master is not to even attempt to fix the broken vessel, but to behold its potential, to admire its beauty. He asks, what kind of a church would we become if we simply allowed broken people to gather and did not try to fix them but simply to love and behold them, contemplating the shapes that broken pieces can inspire. What might that church make that would be passed down for a thousand generations? Yeah, this whole series is really about culture making, about being a part of cultivating and caring for a culture, as opposed to being culture warriors who see ourselves as combatants in some apocalyptic battle taking place in our very midst that usually requires us to vote for someone. What would it look like if instead we embraced this? I'm not standing here to tell you that all of the painful things that have happened to you, all of the tragedies and traumas can be fixed right now but that perhaps in embracing the table, in embracing the meal and the wine and the transformation of bread into something else, maybe one day. This, this whole morning, our conversation is about making. It's really just about this table. It's just about this common meal that we take together. It's this meal that shouts to those who wish to draw boundaries to judge who is in and out to power. There is a power greater than your power. And it is here in the broken elements that mend each one of us and make us whole that we make that statement. One of the things that we want to do throughout this series, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about different ways of making people in our community who make different things one of the things we want to do is to make what we do when we gather together a kind of making, a kind of expression of creativity. And, and this morning we want common meal 
to be such an expression. So from now on, as long as we're able to do this, uh, we want as a community to actually be a part of making the elements that appear on the table, both the wine and the bread, the food and the drink. Because we believe that and in the making of these elements, we ourselves are transformed as they are transformed into sacred food and sacred drink. The elements of the wine and the bread are common, ordinary items, but they could come from people in our community to be put on the table, to be transformed into a communal meal that is both sacred and common. Like Kintsugi, the common and the ordinary can be changed into something infinitely more valuable because of its use in the powerful act of coming around this table to die to ourselves and to each other again and again and again. So I'd like for you to hear from one person in our community, Stephen Grindle, uh, who's a winemaker and whose wine appears on our table this morning in an act of making given back to the community. My name is Stephen Grindle and uh, I'm a winemaking hobbyist. So I was actually in seminary and I got to interview my parents and then my grandparents. And as I was sitting at my grandparents' house, um, my grandpa um, reminded me of this uh, winemaking tradition that had existed in our family. And I remember like growing up hearing stories of my mom tasting her grandfather's wine and um, it just intrigued me why that tradition got lost in my, my mom's generation. So I just thought, you know what, I want to I revive this within our family. And so I talked to my grandpa about where to go to buy grapes. And he mentioned this old guy named Tony Marabella, uh, where he used to buy grapes from. And uh, so I looked this guy up. Uh, he was still in the same location. Uh, so I bought my first batch of grapes from the same guy that my grandfather bought his grapes from in the 1960s. And it was just like this moment of like, almost like this full circle moment of feeling like I had uh, discovered and then kind of reattached this link in a chain that had been lost in my, in my family tradition. So after I bought my first grapes, I asked my grandpa, how do I do this? You know, and he told me about two types of winemaking. One is old world winemaking where you really let the grape lead the process and you don't do a lot of addition or subtraction in order to uh, manipulate the, the taste of the grape. Uh, really it's a more organic process and a more artistic process. The first batch that I made uh, was an old world wine and, uh, and it was delicious, I loved it because it, it kind of created this link in a chain to past generations. So the name I chose for my wine is uh, a Latin word uh, that means posterity and it's pronounced posteritas. What it means is descendants or future generations. And really as I was discovering this tradition in my family, I really wanted to give something to my boys that would be a, a generational uh, inheritance. Uh, in the winemaking process, when you are clarifying the wine, there's something that drops from the liquid called lees. And the lees are anything that uh, the yeast attaches to, it puts off CO2, but also this actual like 
substance called lees and it drops to the bottom of the, the wine. And if you leave the liquid on there too long, it will actually, that, that sediment at the bottom will actually sour the wine. So what you have to do to prevent that is you have to rack the wine from one container into another container. And that allows the wine to maintain its richness, maintain its flavor without being um, embittered. And I think about that in terms of a metaphor for our lives. Like as these, as we deconstruct, as we lose images of God that are no longer serving us, or, or even like experiences that have hurt us, uh, trauma, pain, whatever it is, loss, as we lose these things, like if we sit on that for too long, I know from personal experience, I'm gonna get embittered, right? I think there is this, this natural lesson there to say, what does it look like to like, to, to, to be wrapped off of that, that, that sediment, that stuff that's no longer serving us and, and move into something new. So when I think of the transformation process that winemaking articulates, I think of it being a process of trust, right? Like I have to actually trust the grape, that the grape is going to do what it was intended to do in, in terms of its transformation from grape juice into wine. When I think about the possibility of my wine being used as a sacred drink or as communion or common meal, I actually think about the real presence of Jesus. I actually love to envision Jesus being at the table with me while I'm taking common meal. That is the epitome of what transforms wine into sacred drink, is the presence of Jesus in the room. In this common meal, um, he actually is present. He actually is embodied somehow again and again and again in our rehearsing of this, this tradition. I actually think that the things that we create, whether it's wine or art or furniture or bread, it actually all is infused with godness. Like there is a divine spark in all things, right? And so I really do believe that as we're making, we are encountering God himself um, in the substances that we make with, right? That if we were present to those, those processes and to those substances, like we would find Christ. Um, in the very making of those things, and in the very tasting of those things, and in the very sharing of those things. Like, all of it is infused um, with Christ himself. To be a maker, it seems like it's connected with being in touch with the Creator himself. There's really not much more to say after that. Uh, th this act of making, uh, not only of the wine or of the bread, but the making that we do when we gather, this work that we do that can only be done once we get here, is in and of itself a way of being connected to the maker. The grapes are crushed and the juice is racked to produce the wine. The flour is milled and beaten and heated to become bread. 
the act of making bread and wine involves, to some degree at least, a bit of death. But the act of transforming the bread and the wine into these elements on the table, that is something else altogether. It's magic. It's foolishness. It's death. It's lack of control. It is the making that makes us. We invite you now to come to this table to taste the wine and the bread, not that just comes from this community that was made by someone in this community, but to taste this transformation that is possible through this meal, through this community, because of what we believe we've been called to make in the world. That these common, ordinary, broken elements can be transformed to create something new. And that as we take this in, we are also sent out by this to do the same in our world that is broken, that is ordinary. So we invite you to come. Um, if you're uncomfortable with uh, the wine element, uh, we have grape juice for you, but we invite you into this moment of transformation of ordinary brokenness into something of infinite value. Whenever you're ready, please come.